Welcome to the Equipping Podcast. My name is Nathan, and this is part two of three with the Eubank family from Free Burma Rangers. Again, we just want to warn you that some of the content on this podcast might be disturbing to some listeners, so listener discretion is advised. Welcome to part two of the Equipping Podcast. We have with us Dave and Karen Eubank. Dave and Karen, thanks for being back with us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. And I was listening to the kids talk, um, telling some of their stories. And I, I wanted to add how grateful all of us are when we are in America. For, for one, of course, without the church here, we couldn't go there. Mm. And that, that's a financial issue. But it's also, I think, even more than a financial issue, it's a prayer issue. Praying that we actually follow Jesus, that we stay straight, and when we're not straight, that we're convicted quickly, and we can get ourselves cleaned out and forgiven and reloaded. And also, the prayer that we feel. I mean, many times, I've felt prayer like, what's, I really don't want to do that thing. Someone's praying for me. I can feel like a force. Mm. Wow. And... Or people send an email. I remember once we're, we're going into an ISIS compound trying to rescue people. Well, ISIS controls this compound, so you're going to die if they see you in there. Mm. It's crazy. Mm. And I was praying, and I was pretty scared. And then this word came to me, really big. It said, be bold. That mm. was from an email from somebody church in America. Dave, be bold. Because, you know, when you're scared, you don't, any of us are scared, whether it's physical danger or financial or relational. No one needs to tell us, be careful. We're already very careful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. But when we're scared, what we should say is, Lord, did you want me to do this? You know, I don't want to be led by comfort, by fear or pride. So do you want me to do this? Yes. Well, then be bold. Because if Jesus is asking you to do something, he's going with you. Mm. Do it. Be bold. So as believers, we need to tell each other, not be careful, be safe. That's not in the Bible. Mm. The church should not be telling people, be safe. Or, oh, you know, we're worried about security. No, we're not worried about security. We're worried about, are we obeying Jesus or not? And then when he says go, well, of course you want to survive it. Mm-hmm. You don't want to get hurt. That hurts. Mm-hmm. But the main thing is the mission. Where mm-hmm. did God send you? Mm-hmm. So I'm grateful for the church. And like when we're here in America, our kids, uh, besides surfing and climbing and hunting, which is other people's gear, people give us surfboards, people fly us out to hunt. Mm-hmm. Um, rodeo, my kids all rodeo. Pete rides bulls and steers and the girls ride barrels. They have quality horses. They actually win. In Cody, they win. In Jackson, the 4th of July, they won. They can't do that alone. That's some American who's working hard every single day and then training a horse and then giving you their best horse. They don't have to do that. That is amazing generosity all across this country. And in Europe, we have friends. So they, I remember when Pete was six, you're supposed to be eight to tandem over there. You got to be 18 here, but you got to be eight to tandem in the Czech Republic. And the head of the drop zone goes... I'll take that risk. And I think he's a cool kid. How he goes. Well, you can't make that happen. And so it's generous people all over this country that help us. And I've also seen that, you know, it's easy to judge people, what they look like or what church they went to or what political party they voted for. Um, But we really don't know someone's walk. We don't really know their heart. Mm. And in the Free Burma Rangers, we are open to people of many and, almost any faith or religion or yeah. no faith. You have, we have three rules. You have to be able to read and write because of the reporting requirements yeah. and, and medicine we have to do. You have to do this for love because most of the team members are not paid. They're just volunteers. And then third, you can't run if people can't run. And we're not a military group. We're not a militia. 
Most of our guys aren't even armed. We're not pacifists. We fought before, but our job is to share the love of Jesus and help people. But if the Burma army or ISIS comes and everybody's dying and there's no way to stand against them, let's say you don't have a weapon, you cannot run to the last person's gone. That's a rule. So you have to be able to live with that. So most of the people who join us actually are believers and followers of Jesus. And most of our leadership is, but not all. We have Muslims, we have Buddhists, we have spirit worshipers. We have one atheist. He's been with us over four years. He was a Marine and fought in the Battle of Fallujah, got shot four times. And he said, Dave, you know, I, I grew up, he grew up in a rough environment. And is this guy an American? An American, American yeah. Marine. Yeah. His name is um, Justin. And he, he said, I, I joined the Marines to, to change my life and to serve my country and to do something exciting. And I went into um, the battle in Iraq for freedom for the Iraqis. But I saw, I began to feel, I'm not sure how much we really love the Iraqis and how much we care about them. I felt like maybe I was killing some people that were kind of patriots for their own country. I mean, mm -hmm. I agree with them, but they weren't all evil, yeah, right. even though there were some evil ones. What's the, I couldn't tell the difference. And then I got shot and I shot some people and I left the Marine Corps, glad I'd served, but confused about what my purpose was. And I heard about the Freedom Rangers and I joined you guys because even though I'm an atheist, you allowed me. And he served with us for about three years, and I, I um, didn't really get to know him because I was always in the field, and he was a support guy in the back. He has long hair by now, and he's a beautiful man. He's like one of these male <laughs> models, you know, like, are you sure you're a Marine? Yeah, yeah. And um, very gentle and kind, and Mr. Like, surfer cool. And I didn't get to know him because I was always in the field. And I finally came back, and I, I said, tell me your story, Justin. And he told me a story. And he told me some brutal things that happened in the Battle of Fallujah. In combat... You don't always get to pick, I'm going to kill Al-Qaeda or ISIS. There's mm -hmm. civilians in there. Mm -hmm. be hiding in there. Mm -hmm. It's not your fault, maybe, but you go into a building, whether it's your guy shot him or an airstrike hit him, there's kids dead. Mm -hmm. And he told me this of what he'd seen and been part of, and he started to cry. And I started to cry. I have kids, too. I have family, too. Wow. It didn't turn out the way I wanted it to be. I want to be a warrior for righteousness. Just shoot the bad guy. It's not that simple sometimes. Sometimes you're fortunate and it's as simple as it is. And I said, do you want to come to Iraq again with me, Free Burma Rangers? Do it different? No, you wouldn't take me. I'm not a Christian. And you only take your senior staff, which is true. I only take my most experienced people, my most mm -hmm. experienced medics from Burma. These are ethnic Karen and Karenian, Sean and Kachin. I take my top eight guys that are battle tested, full of love, can do outstanding field medicine. They can do everything. And I take them and I take a few foreign volunteers, but I prayed and I said, yeah, I'll take you. So I remember the very first time we were there, we had no weapons and we're at the front line doing medical care and praying with people with the Kurds. And we're about to get attacked by ISIS. We, could, we knew it through radio intercept and we're on a salient, which means ISIS is on three sides of us at, in Sinjar town, this is before it was liberated. And my family's up on the mountain behind us with the displaced Yazidi people. Mm -hmm. And they're doing kids programs up there and I'm down on the front. And he said, sir, this is out of control. We got no guns here. It's one thing to do medical care, but they're going to attack us tonight. And it's at night. They're going to be able to assault this position. Yep. And I said, God will give us guns if we need guns. And he rolls his eyes like, what a <laughs> Christian <laughs> nutcase, man. <laughs> and, but I, this is what I've really learned about from God is that he gives you what you need, not mm -hmm. what you want. And even when I go to shop, I try to remember, Lord, what do I need in this store? I do need things, but not what I want. What do I need? Mm -hmm. That helps me a lot, even when I'm shopping for stuff in America. Yeah. And... God gives you what you need. And so I said, he'll give it to us. And, and you know, he's like, oh my gosh. 
And what a suicide mission. Right after that, this, yeah, this Kurdish soldier with us, Captain uh, Mohammed, a very dear friend, he, he's carrying a, G, a G36, it's a rifle, and he's got a pistol. He goes, tonight we will be attacked. You better take my pistol at least. I said, I just prayed about that. I said, okay. I'll take it. I'm checking because it's got that bottom magazine release. Mm-hmm. It's horrible. And um, <laughs> so I practice it because you, if you don't, you're not going to get better when things yeah, stress yeah, comes. Right. Yeah, right. So, you know, one great lesson I learned in Fuller Seminary from my, from my psychology professor, he, he, it's not very obvious, but he said, you know, when you're, when you're calm, how hard is it to put that key in the lock of your door? Not hard. When you're stressed, it gets harder yeah. and harder. Yeah. Just, it always happens to us. Yeah. So the reason in the military we train again and again and again and again and again, that simple, simple task yeah. is so that when we're stressed, we can do it's it. It's muscle memory. Yeah, we, right. we like to say sometimes around here, you, nobody ever rises to the occasion. You always lower to the level of your training. Right. So a lot of times people are like, oh, well, it, in that moment, I'd be awesome. You know, it's like, actually, no, you're going to be so stressed and just disoriented that you're going to lower down to what you're used to. Yes. Yeah. And so a dentist with us, Shannon Allison, who come, he's a special forces dentist and he comes with us about once a year. And he says, oh, don't worry. You know, I come once a year and every time I come, nothing happens. Boom. First mortar lands. Dishka's his heavy machine gun opens mm. up on one flank and they start motoring from that side and just hammering us and suppressing one side. And then they do individual movement technique on this side, firing and movement, just like American Army yeah, does. Yeah. Exactly. But this is about 10 o'clock at night. All can see his muzzle flashes. And they started at 100 meters. They moved very quickly within 50 meters. And they got a BKC light machine gun over, pinning us down. I come up over the berm, and I'm just standing up, exposed up to my waist, just point blank shooting. A pistol. My pistol. That's all I had. <laughs> at the closest guys. I shoot, 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 shoot. And I, and I, and I change magazines. Thank God I practice. And shoot, 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 shoot. And then I see a Kurdish guy. So many rounds are coming in on us. He's like yeah. this. Yeah. And I, he's not going to use his rifle. Give me that gun, man. I pick up his gun and I look through and it's like, you ever had a bad dream where like you're naked or you're trying to do something, you know, the right gear. Mm-hmm. I look through this. It has a little plastic scope. The G36. It's not night vision. You can't see nothing. And I was like, oh my gosh, it's like a bad dream. So I just point my rifle at these guys, which are now very close and shoot. Well, this guy's because Kurds like a show. It's all tracers. Perfect. Wow. I just walk the tracers on every muzzle flash that's close to me. And then it, that stops. And then I walk it in on the BKC. And that stops. And mean, I look over at Justin and now, and meanwhile, my medic is moving and I'm helping him mm-hmm. in between all this. There's casualties. Yeah. So we're running them back and forth. And there's one armored vehicle the Kurds have. This is not the Iraqi army. They had one German armored vehicle and it's come up in the middle of the fight to take casualties out. And I look at Justin and he has his smile on his face, total calm. He goes, this is pretty cool, man. <laughs> and um, You're right. We have what we need. Yeah. Yeah. And we were helping people, and um, then it, the, the fighting stopped, and the finally fast movers came in and helped out. Mm-hmm. But the really who stopped it was the Kurds. And the coolest thing to me, the Kurdish general had retired. He had been in the resistance against Saddam Hussein. His wife was captured on their wedding day. Everything bad you can imagine happened to her a year and a half in prison and she escaped. And he told me the story. He started crying how he lived his life and fought Saddam his whole time. Then he retired in Germany and then ISIS attacked. His name is General Ezzedine, total stud. He's 50 something years old, low blood pressure, had all these old physical problems and cool looking dude. They're very, like a movie star. So he had like a little Hitler mustache, <laughs> funny looking, <laughs> yeah, yeah. but a superstar. Well, when that uh, medevac, only armored vehicle there was, comes in and it's taking rounds. Ping, ping, ping. I remember trying to, it's German. So they have a, the releases underneath the door. 
Like, who does that? Yeah. I'm trying to close the door and rounds are coming in. I'm like, ah, Lord, help me. And I'm going to die right here trying to get a casualty in this vehicle. Well, as Adin jumps out, he walks up and he's just incredible amount of fire. And you guys know what that's like. It's not fun then. It's like, catching. It's not just like zing this crack, 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 crack. Yeah. And there's a, a Dushka, or no, there's a 50 cal, American 50 cal on the back of a Land Cruiser, no armor, sitting there in the corner position. Nobody's manning it because you're mm. going to die. Mm. It's exposed from the waist up. He walks up yelling in Kurdish. I can only imagine. <laughs> what are you doing? And he gets on the gun, cranks it into action. Just laying down fire, man. A general, just like. John Wayne, except John Wayne was an actor. Yeah. This is real life. I'm next to him going, any moment his head's going to explode. Yeah. I can't believe he's this brave. Yeah. I'll not stand up like that. And he single-handedly stopped the, I mean, we did our little part. He more than anybody stopped that attack as a general. Yeah. Wow. Oh, I love this guy. He is a dean. Anyway, that fights. And then then the fast movers come in. Dog, 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 dog. But really, and I'm grateful for him, but in that battle, it was the Kurds that stopped ISIS. So um, when it was over, I turned my pistol back in and Justin looks at me like, what the heck, man? I said, well, it's not mine. We'll, we'll get it if we need it. So later on in the Battle of Mosul, um, this is about a year later, ISIS has been pushed out of the Kurdish areas. And by 2016, we're in the Battle of Mosul in November. And we're in it till pretty much the end, until um, the end of June for us, 2017. The battle can officially ended July, 2017. Well, D- Justin's with us driving an ambulance working. My, my daughter, Saheli also drove one of the armored ambulances right up to the front to us. We moved dead or wounded into it and she'd drive back and Karen and the kids at the casualty collection point. And Justin was part of that driving ambulance back and forth, sometimes driving our Humvee, which the Iraqi army gave us. And, um, one time we were out in a, um, in the, in the West side of Mosul, taking the, the west corner of the city, and we pushed ISIS back four blocks, the Iraqi army did, and then they counterattacked. They had probably in every building 10 um, Iranian-made versions of an AT-4. And even though the Ira- Iranians do not help ISIS, ISIS had got that stuff from Yeah, so just, just for our listeners, an AT-4 is like a light-armored weapon. Yeah. It's for taking vehicles, out tanks. vehicles like you're driving. Exactly. Yeah. Well, there was, every, uh, I, I, I would say this then, Every position that ISIS had, they had at least 10 of them. Mm-hmm. So wow. not every house had 10, but every position. So about every third or fourth house, yeah. you see stacks of them. Some fired, some not. Wow. They just be shooting them, shooting them, shooting them. They had more than an infantry platoon would have. Mm, yeah. And they'd, uh, they'd, they had, we had one. They had three years <laughs> to, to dig in. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, they'd have a, they'd have a, um, they'd be shooting you from this building, but they've made little holes through the walls. Mm-hmm. So they're actually shooting you from the last room. You'll never see the muzzle flash at some weird angle. And then they got a tunnel from that house to another house. They got years to work on this and they were good. Towards the end of the battle, we're running into the Chechens. They were very yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. They were, they were hitting us. I remember having to cross my Humvee to, to tell people I was 500 yards away from ISIS position and they never missed my vehicle mm-hmm. and we're going as fast as we can. And they had about a 40 meter window to hit us, which I don't know how many seconds we were in that one. Not many seconds. Not they long, never missed yeah. us yeah. right wow. through our couple of the 50 cal. Wow. So they were proficient. Mm. Anyways, we push in and we get pushed back. And now we're taking casualties. We, we lose four BMPs, which is an armored vehicle. We lose two tanks. We have a lot of dead people, lots of casualties. At the same time, civilians are running for their lives. Ah, mm-hmm. it's yeah. just total chaos. And ISIS is gunning them down. And we go up in our Humvee and we load up a family in our Humvee. They're all shot. Our Humvee's deadlined. It gets shot to pieces. My translator gets shot and eventually dies. 
trying to help him. My driver running for help gets shot six times. Um, this guy, Muhammad, we later baptize him. He lives. But we can't do anything. Mm. So I'm in the vehicle with these wounded girl and her dad is shot through the back of the head, the bullets out of her eye. She's still alive. We're trying to, my medic slowly, and um, he's from Burma, and my Marine named Sky, he's helping try to keep her alive. I have an old SF guy next to me. He's out of ammo from the Coppola. And he's sitting there. What can he do? I'm trying to make the vehicle move. Can't because he just shot the pieces. And I'm on the radio talking to Ephraim, this ex-Navy SEAL. I'm patching him. He's patching me through the Iraqis. And I'm talking to Major Wathak, General Mustafa's guy. Hey, man, just give me an Abrams down here. Just drive the Abrams down to shove me out of here. Because I'm in a, like a little kill sack. They yeah. Ice is yeah. on two sides. Just lightness. I'm waiting for the, the RPG or the AT-4 to blow us up. Yeah. And... They go, can't do it. They're, we're in a fight for our lives. This right over here. Yeah. Everybody's fighting for their lives. Yeah. I remember a BNP comes right by me, and we have a little command flag. They probably thought, oh, oh, that's, that's the American friend. He's probably calling in help. I couldn't do it. I just, I'm like waving him. Hey. Yeah, they yeah. go right by us. Their guns are blazing. Blah, 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 blah. Everybody's in their own little war. Finally, an Abrams comes down 30 minutes later. And Abrams comes down, parks next to us, and just boom, 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 boom. And ISIS, by now, they've maneuvered on, on three mm-hmm. sides of us. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the main gun's just taking them out. And then a Humvee comes down, and out of the Humvee jumps the atheist, Justin. You, you don't want to get out of this Humvee. You don't want to come down where we are. It's only dead people. Greater love hath no man than this he laid down his life for his friends. Mm. So if any atheist or anyone's listening to this, love is the measure for all of us, whether they're atheist or Christian or what, we're not sure. Mm. Love is the measure of anything in our lives. Yeah. And this guy had so much love, he risked his life for me. And our team, he got out, chained up my vehicle and jumped back in the Humvee with a hider, like the meanest Iraqi soldier with nobody liked him. But he risked, and this guy risked his life every day. Yeah. I found out, you know, I saw once we had multiple suicide vehicles come at us. These are Ford F-250s with armor, inch thick, 2,000 pounds of TNT coming right at you. Everybody's jumping over the, into a wall, trying to hide. Hider steps out there and the brigade commander's behind and he's part of the security detail. He steps out. Puts a BKC on his hip, just like the movie. He said, but this isn't a movie. He's got a wife and kids. Ah! Bah, 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 bah. Lights into the vehicle. The vehicle's 100 yards, it's 70 yards, it's 50 yards. Coming right at him. He never moves. All around, I'm right next to him. All around are pinging off the vehicle, and the vehicle turns, because there's two tanks to our left. It sees the tanks as a bigger target, turns and runs right in the back of a T-72 and blows mm. up. Wow. And Hyder survives. That's the kind of guy this guy is. Oh, my gosh. He's a Muslim, Iraqi soldier valor mm-hmm. giving his life for others not you know killing people is not valor that it may or may not be real valor is i'll let, put my life on the line for someone mm-hmm. else mm-hmm. so i saw this again and again anyways he did that um justin was part of that justin and Hyder. later about a month later we're deep in the city in tamu 17 it's the neighborhood isis actually started it in mosul and it's house to house fighting and i'm out in the street and it's, we've cleared a sector and almost, and I'm sitting down and Lieutenant Hussein, amazing PL, just like you, you'd love him. He'd be the superstar. And he's sitting next to me and we've cleared a sector and we have a sister element over here to our left. So it should be okay, but it's not. And I, I'm kind of like, man, we should get off the street. You shouldn't just sit on the street, but you know, he's, it's his war and you don't need the American guard, blah, 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 blah. So I sit next to him. I'm about to say, Hey, you know, we probably should get off the street and ISIS comes around the corner. They're seven meters. They're shooting first. Never see them until they shoot seven meters away. Then they close within four and a half meters. That's standing almost over yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. Not over us, but four and a half yards. Just pace that out. Bah, 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 bah. They shoot them six times. They shoot me once. I'd say, God help me. Anyways, I was able to fight those guys. 
And then there's more around the corner. So I'm throwing frags and Hussein is laying on the street. Oh, don't leave me. And nobody else is on the street. It's just kill zone. And I'm throwing grenades and I yell, help me, somebody help me get this guy off the street because I can't put my hands down. I'm either throwing hand grenades yeah, or I'm yeah, shooting yeah, my AK. Yeah. You stop fighting, you both die. Yeah. Exactly. And the first guy on the street is the atheist, Justin, mm. who hates war. He said, Dave, you love this stuff. I hate it. Mm. And he runs out with Zhao, my Kachin, the Burmese guy, the only Burmese guy with me that day. And the other guys that come out, greater love hit the man than this. He laid on his life for his friends. They would die coming on the street. And they got me off the street and got Hussein off the street. So I just want to put that in there, mm. that love has no boundary. Yeah. Love has no boundary of race, religion, politics. That's the real measure. And I'm in, in Texas now looking at the different signs, um, Beto, Beto, whatever that guy's name is, and um, Cruz, I think Cruz, they're, yeah. they're in it. And depending on your, your persuasion, you can get really mad at the other guy. And maybe rightfully so about certain issues. But Jesus calls us to love, not to give up our brains, but to love. And so if I'm against Cruz or I'm against Beto or against this and for that guy, I need to stop first and say, Lord, whatever I'm for or against, let it be of love. These are human beings made in your image with their own viewpoints. Whatever I do, let me do it in love. Let me yeah. respond in love, which is not easy at all. I'm not sure why it's so hard. But if we say, Jesus, help me respond in love and act in love, whichever side it is, and I think this too, speaking of politics, if we have one faction and another faction and we're at at least verbal war and ideological war, I believe if both factions, and it finally probably has to start with like me and you say, this is my view. And I think it's very important. Your view is very important. If, are we both willing to take our views and put them on Jesus altar, on mm -hmm. God's altar, mm -hmm. put them all up? Open agenda and hidden agendas. The ones even that embarrass us. The reasons why we like this or that. Put them on his altar. Step back and say, we will only take back and obey what you give us, Lord. Mm. If we really do that, I believe it will come back different for each person because we are different. We have mm. different roles and responsibilities, but there'll be a harmony in our decisions. Yep. And even though it, you still may want this more, will, the compromises we make will not be moral compromises. They'll be technique. Yep. I believe it. Methodology. Because yeah. God is bigger than all politics. And so if we can offer up our ideals on his altar, not on a man's altar, on his altar, mm -hmm. I think he will give us harmony. And if the other side doesn't do it, whatever the other side is, okay, that's between them and God. We can do it. And then we'll know what to stand on. I think one of the points you're making right now, which is crystal clear to me anyway, is a lot of people, especially in our culture today, think of love as like a, an emotion or this is the way that I feel about um, this situation or this person or we're very, especially in the West, we're very uh, emotion driven coming out of just an individualism like I feel like this, therefore that's reality. But man, what I'm hearing you say is like multiple times you reinforced that greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life. And you read 1 Corinthians 13, right? I mean, love is patient. It's kind. You know, it's, it is not envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. These are all things that you're doing. Love is action, an action that's born out of an inner life that's been transformed by God. It's like the Lord brings about a transformation in us. And, but if that's real, then it can't help but play itself out. So talk to us about some of the lessons that you've learned just around 
the past 20, 25 years of doing this, what are some of those things that you're like, man, the Lord took this and really solidified it um, in my mind, in my heart, just some of those primary lessons that you've learned? I think there hasn't, I never studied to do mission work. People sometimes ask me, what was your missiology training? And I say, well, I just said I do. Yeah. And figured it out as you went there. So yep. it's different for everybody. Some people have a blessing to go through that, study more. And so a lot of my lessons have come from basic discipleship, basic mm. reading, studying, and personal devotions. And I would say one thing, sustaining has just been God's present touch every morning as often as I pay attention to it, as often as I seek him out, he'll respond in a way. Sometimes there's a dramatic word or verse that specifically illuminates a situation. Other times it's much more practical. And God will say, the reason why you're discontent is because you haven't learned the language. If you would learn the language, you would be able to speak with people and make relationships. And so yeah. I think you have to, at least in an, in an unfamiliar setting, give light both situations. Some is very practical, some is very spiritual. Mm. Uh, so all along there have been different phases and moments and the small child phase and then the growing into our program, the kids program phase, and now I'm homeschooling phase and those are all very different. So there isn't, uh, that I shared earlier about how John 10.10 was so significant in giving me marching orders introduce people to Jesus, introduce mm. them to, to me, and I will do the work. I will give them abundant life. So it was short and sweet for me, thankfully. I had an early vision, I think, beginning our ministry of being out in the middle of a lake and treading water and getting very tired out there. So I swim to shore thinking, well, this is a lot better. I can stand up and, you know, relax. And I see Jesus still in the middle of the lake. No, no, no. I'm with you out here. So I get back in the lake. All right, I guess we're doing it out there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so step by step, there have been um, just words and, and nuggets that have sustained me. So I often tell people, I never plan to do mission work. And so if it seems extraordinary, anybody can do it. If mm -hmm. I can do it, anybody can do it. Mm -hmm. And what we worship, we grow to resemble. And that's been true in the way that I think God says, if you want to know me better, put the work in. Just as much as you spend time texting a friend or looking at a website, where is your attention really going? Some people get dramatic flashes and visions and supernatural experiences, and I would love that any minute. And yet I often feel God saying, it's all there in the Bible. It's all there. If you yeah. would memorize it and take it with you, yeah. it would be much more present than any momentary flash of light. Yeah. And so I've given you the tools that. you need. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah, in lieu of the, the knocking off your horse, like Paul mm -hmm. got, he says, just read my word. That's what mm -hmm. you have right now. Mm -hmm. And then it is relevant and supernatural. And I've had someone say to me or remind me, you know, God's words living and active. So when I do the kids programs and want to share a spiritual truth, it's often very complicated because the community in which we share it has never heard those truths before. They don't know any of the Bible stories. So you can't sort of build on a discipleship moment because you know the original story. Like they are hearing that fresh first time. Mm. You know, what's up with the guy and the whale? And if you had <laughs> never, ever heard that before, it would just seem outlandish. Yeah, yeah. And we go on to make all these sort of deeper meanings out of it. Yeah. But trying to explain that whole point to someone very quickly mm. who's never heard it before 
and then draw a spiritual truth out of it. it takes a lot of discipline and then putting it in their hands so for example i try to share the message of redemption going to your enemies asking for god's forgiveness and mercy and they're thinking why would i do that again good question mm. and then them turning around and having to share it with kids sort of two days later so that you really pray God's word is rich and powerful mm -hmm. and it impacts somebody for the very first time and then so much so in their hearts that they can go and share it with children to be a living thing because I want that program to be out of their mouths not just mine and so I do a lot of interceding and praying that the message we have is relevant and useful and in the same way with the kids I think some of my most challenging moments are just being gracious and nice and polite to my family yeah. Just, I just get selfish <laughs> and mean. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so what I'm hearing you say, though, and Briggs and I were actually talking about this yesterday. We spent a little bit of time in the car yesterday. And uh, what I'm hearing you say is that um, far from this formula of, hey, if you just like plug these things in, then it all adds up and it spits this thing out. The thing I'm hearing you say is, no, this is a um, life is a very f uh, fluid experience. There's a lot of. Um, uh, just like Dave, the stories you were just telling, there's a lot of massive question marks all the time. Like, how in the world are you going to get your your buddy out of the street when I got to fight these guys to just stay alive? Like, I don't know what's going to happen. And a lot of us, and especially in the West, but really, it's it really is a universal like human problem. I mean, uh, we like control. We we like to know. Well, if I do this, then it's going to result in this. And and really, that's just not. I mean, in some ways, life is like that, but uh, in a broad sense, it's not at all. In my experience in the military, too, I, I know for all of you guys, it's, it, it's very much a sense of, you know, you're not in control. I mean, there are things you can control and you're responsible for those, but the whole thing is like, uh, I'm just going to kind of do what I can. And what I'm hearing from both of you guys is over the years, you guys have gotten into this rhythm of, okay. I, I believe and actually believe because it's been confirmed over and over and over and over and over again that today I'm going to have what I need and I'm going to trust in Jesus that he's going to give me what I need and I'm going to walk by faith with what he's given me to do today. And man, if all of us could not just intellectually know that, but sink down into our hearts and, and operate out of that. I mean, that translates um, huge into everyday life, regardless of whether you're fighting ISIS or you're frustrated at your daughter because she won't do her schoolwork or whatever it is. I don't know. I mean, well, and our time is so varied. I don't know what's coming each day. And sometimes I start off with a certain thing that I think is happening. And then I find out about what's <laughs> happened to Dave yeah. in, a, in a different place that's crazy. And so I say my say to myself, steward the mystery. There's a mm -hmm. verse about uh, the mysteries of the Christ. Stewards of the mystery of God. Yeah. Right. And yeah. you just aren't going to understand everything. And I pray he equips me to deal with whatever is there in the moment with grace and confidence and courage. There's plenty of times we all say goodbye and you never quite know what's going to happen. But I think mostly having vision that what God's asked you to do is a powerful thing. Not that I myself am able or adequate to do it, but that it is the right thing to a try. Mm -hmm. And then for that day, you give it your best and put him first in it and then thank him for what comes at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think it's fascinating. I know my, my problem is I often try to put things into a, uh, equations are, are easy and people are hard, right? <laughs> you know, equations and function or, or systems. And, and it's very much our culture nowadays to do that. But Christ was all about relationship and which boils down to love, like you're talking about. So, um, 
even today, even after everything I've learned every day, I kind of find my mind trying to figure out some sort of methodology or equation to just make things. And I'm like, wait, none of that works like day by day. So I think it's fascinating. You guys are an example of that, of living uh, day by day uh, with what God gives you. I mean, if we could use equations and it was easy, we'd have no place for faith. Mm-hmm. And uh, so till I die, I think part of me is always going to, I'll put an equation here and make it yeah. more efficient. Or, um, but no, it's messy and complicated and beautiful, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. It's the messy and complicated that, that uh, when you see God move and shape it and form it to redeem it, yeah. then that's what, that's what makes it beautiful. That's what this walk's all about. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Thank you guys again for being with us. Definitely appreciate it. We're excited to spend a little more time with you. So this is uh, part two of three. So hang with us again for the, the last episode, which will be released next week. And we'll see you next time. Thanks again for tuning in for our podcast with the Eubank family. Hope you enjoyed it. Tune in next week for part three, the final part of our three-part series. And as always, subscribe, tell your friends, and email us at equippingpodcast at watermark.org.